All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Plans and Programs Committee meeting of our San Francisco County Transportation Authority of July 19th, 2016. I am Katie Tang, the chair of this committee. Um, and let's see, who do we have here today? We have Commissioner Avalos, Peskin, and Breed. And we'll see who else we'll be joined by. Our clerk is uh, Steve Samos, and from SFGov TV, we'd like to thank Nona Malconian and Jennifer Lowe. And uh, do we have any announcements? Uh, there are no announcements. Okay. Can we please go to roll call? Item one, roll call. Commissioner Avalos? Here. Avalos present. Commissioner Breed? Here. Breed present. Commissioner Farrell? Farrell absent. Commissioner Peskin? Present. Peskin present. Commissioner Tang? Present. Tang present. We have quorum. Thank you. Item two, please. Item two, Citizens Advisory Committee report. This is an information item. Thank you. And I see our CAC Chair, Chris Wadling. Good morning, Commissioners. Um, I'll try to keep this brief. Um, so item number six on your agenda um, regarding uh, $45 million for uh, various Prop K and Prop AA. Um, this item was approved by all members in attendance. Um, the, re, regarding the Van Ness BRT, John Larson asked regarding the status of the $61 million from the PUC. Uh, and uh, we on the CAC are still waiting for that, for, so hopefully we can get that update from MTA. Uh, regarding the Great Highway Project, uh, we, our questions are mostly centered around details of the multi-phase project, timelines and traffic impacts. Um, and uh, there was also questions on the bike facility maintenance uh, issue. Um, item number seven was an information item. Uh, John Larson, it was the uh, Yerba Buena Island uh, project. Uh, so John Larson commended the TA for being under budget on this project, and I have to uh, concur with that. Uh, it's great to see a project come in uh, on time and under budget. Um, item number eight uh, was our uh, late night transfer, uh, the other nine to five. Um, and Peter Sachs remarked on how late, much late night movement there was between San Francisco and San Mateo County. And so looking at uh, BART service uh, later in the evening uh, to accommodate those, those commuters uh, may be worthwhile. Uh, the parking study, which is on your agenda, item number nine. Uh, this item was also approved by all members in attendance and um, very, uh, you know, not, not a whole lot of questions on that one. Um, I did want to mention that the CAC held two special meetings on the proposed transportation expenditure plan, um, as well as devoting a significant amount of time during our regular June meeting to the topic. And I just wanted to thank all the CAC members uh, who were able to attend for their time and their really thoughtful input on that. Um, I think it made a huge difference. Uh, I think some really important points came out, and so I just wanted to mention that. Okay, That's great. All. Thanks for your update. Uh, seeing no questions or comments from colleagues, then we'll open up item two to public comment. Any members of the public wish to speak? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Item three, please. Uh, items three to four compri comprise the consent calendar. Uh, these items are considered routine. Staff is not planning to present on these items, but are prepared to present if desired. If a member objects, any of the consent items may be removed and considered separately. All right, seeing no uh, uh, request to sever any of the items, are there any public comment on the consent calendar? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And let's do roll call. Oh, I'm sorry. Motion to approve by Supervisor Commissioner Avalos, thank you. <clears throat> Do we have a second? Thank you. Seconded by Commissioner Breed. And if we could do a roll call, please. All right. On the consent calendar, Commissioner Avalos. Aye. Avalos, aye. Commissioner Breed. Aye. Breed, aye. Commissioner Farrell. Farrell, absent. Commissioner Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Commissioner Tang. Aye. Tang, aye. Consent calendar is approved. Thank you. And item five, please. 
Item 5, recommend appointment of two members to the Citizens Advisory Committee. This is an action item. Thank you. We have Mike Pickford here. Good morning. The Transportation Authority Citizens Advisory Committee has 11 members, each serving a two-year term. The Plans and Programs Committee recommends and the Board appoints individuals to fill any CAC vacancies. Neither Transportation Authority staff nor the CAC itself make recommendations on appointments. To qualify for appointment to the CAC, applicants must be San Francisco residents and must appear before this committee at least once to speak to their interest and qualifications. Attachment 1 for this item shows information about current committee members. The list of applicants uh, for vacant positions is attachment 2, and detailed application materials for each applicant can be found in the enclosure. The vacancies under consideration today are the result of the automatic membership termination of Brian Larkin and Santiago Lerma due to four absences over 12 regularly scheduled monthly meetings. Uh, Mr. Larkin and Mr. Lerma are both seeking reappointment. Um, I know Mr. Larkin is here and we're expecting Mr. Lerma at this uh, event. Um, there's an additional CAC vacancy, uh, however, we understand that Commissioner Avalos is uh, requesting that we conduct additional outreach to encourage applicants from District 11 uh, before that seat is filled. Um, there's a total of 26 applicants that you can consider for these vacancies, and with that I can take any questions. Thank you very much. Um, so at this time, uh, I'd like to see if Mr. Ryan Larkin is here, um, followed by Mr. Santiago Lerma, if, if he's here as well. And then, of course, any other applicants who are uh, seeking appointment. Good morning, committee members, Commissioner Tang. I'm Brian Larkin, Larkin Lake the Street, seeking reappointment. I had missed four meetings, I understand that. I missed three in a row last year for good reasons. I was out of town completely on one occasion out of the country. That was a one-off situation. It won't happen again. I've been a member of the CAC since, I think, 2004, 2005, and this is the first time there's been that kind of an issue. Okay. And can you um, also talk a little bit about some of the work that you've done as a CAC member and why you would like to continue serving this role? Well, uh, as I said, I've been a member since it's either 2004 or 2005. I served four years as chairperson, and my work is as a representative of District 1. That has been my focus is on ensuring that the issue, pardon me, the, the interests of District 1 are part of our agenda. I'd like to continue in that capacity for as long as I can. I, I have a background in public transportation. I worked for BART for more than 11 years, almost 10 as a direct employee, and, and one plus, one, one and a half as a consultant. I'm a member of APTA. That was one of the reasons that I left last year. Missed a meeting last year. I was at the APTA rail conference, so I consider that I'm a transit professional and as I'm one of the older members now of the CAC, I bring adult supervision to the committee. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Thank you. Colleagues, do you have any questions or comments for Mr. Larkin? Okay. Seeing none, uh, are any of the other applicants here today for the CAC? If you are, please come on up. If not, we may defer um, unless the com committee objects. Uh, to waiting for Mr. Lerbo. Okay, so maybe we can delay this item until later in the... Okay. All right, thank you, Mr. Larkin. Um, we'll go back to this item. Item 6, please. Okay. Item 6. Uh, and we'll take public comment at that time when we go back to it. 
Item 6, recommend allocation of $45,417,062 in Prop K funds and $141,794 in Prop AA funds with conditions for 11 requests subject to the attached fiscal year cash flow distribution schedules and a commitment to allocate $3,810,006 in Prop K funds. Uh, this is an action item. Good morning, Supervisors. Anna LaFort, Deputy Director for Policy and Programming, here to present this item to you today. Um, while we're bringing up the PowerPoint presentation, I'll begin. The first allocation request is from the SFMTA for over $27 million in Prop K funds for the Van Ness improvements, including bus rapid transit projects. So this will leverage over $250 million in non-Prop K funds for the dedicated only transit lane lanes on Van Ness Avenue. Um, this includes low floor vehicles and the Prop K funds and the um, project funds will fund the incremental cost of the um, expand of, of going from 40 foot to 60 foot articulated trolley buses on the corridor. Um, it also includes quality stations. The other elements that are Prop K funded are the overhead contact systems. This is where the trolley buses connect to the overhead um, power systems, as well as transit signal priority work that uh, the Transportation Authority funded within the last year. There are a whole host of other safety improvements and street repaving and landscaping work and also public utility upgrades, um, including, including sewer, water, and lighting. And SFMTA and the Public Utilities Commission are still working out the final number as far as how much the PUC will provide to the project depending on the final cost estimate for the work to be done um, that they will be responsible for funding project to be open for use by 2019 and MTA will be amending the construction manager general contractor services contract um, later this summer to include the construction phase of work this is a um, CMGC project Next project is for the Twin Peaks Tunnel Trackway improvements, uh, Prop K funds of over $4 million, as along with a commitment to allocate an additional $3.55 million next fiscal year. We'll be leveraging over $40 million in non-Prop K funds, and this is for bringing the light rail infrastructure in Muni's Twin Peaks Tunnel into a state of good repair. Uh, this is between the Castro and West Portal stations. The work will improve the on-time performance and reliability significantly of, uh, along the along the light rail lines. It'll decrease passenger travel time by almost three minutes for the 40,000 average daily passengers on the K, L, and M lines. Work will be done over 21 weekends. They will not be consecutive, so they do not include weekends like Pride Parade or Beta Breakers or the Holiday Moratorium. And during those closures, all of the Muni services for the KLM lines will be shut down within the tunnel from Castro to the outer limits of service along the lines, and so bus bridges will be provided for transit access. The work will start at the end of the summer and be completed within a year. Next request is from MTA for the Prop K portion of the paratransit services contract. This is an annual funding request for the broker contract, uh, a new contract uh, started in fiscal year 16-17. The contract amount is higher than in past contracts, primarily due to the increase of salaries and benefits for the service providers. So the amount of Prop K funds is also slightly higher over the next few years by about $500,000 per year. We're recommending advancing Prop K funds from fiscal year 26 um, to the near term in order to meet this uh, funding commitment uh, from Prop K. 
Next request is for the South Ocean Beach Multi-Use Trail. This is a public works request on behalf of the Recreation and Park Department to have a uh, funding request for the design phase to match a federal grant and a commitment to allocate funds to the construction phase to replace the southbound lanes on the Great Highway between Sloat and Skyline with the Multi-Use Trail and, and Gravel Path. Also includes a new parking lot on the southern end, um, revegetation, and the, the work will become uh, coordinated with the public works project for the um, Ocean Beach Highway to uh, bring the lanes from two uh, northbound and two southbound lanes into one northbound and one southbound lane. And so this project will take use this space that is otherwise um, no longer in use for vehicles. Next two requests are for signals. Um, this, the first request is for six new signals in the city and two flashing beacons, and this also includes infrastructure that goes along with the signal, including pedestrian countdown and accessible or the audible indicators. Um, this work will be done over the next year, and the next request is for upgrades to existing signals on Webster Street at, um, at, a, at, a, at seven locations, and will also upgrade to include the pedestrian countdown signals as well. Next request is for bike facility maintenance. This is for restriping and paint and uh, delineator post replacement. There are locations that are anticipated, but the work will be done citywide over the next couple of years. Next request is for the local track application-based traffic calming project. Um, this is the fourth cycle where MTA has accepted applications on August 1st of the year, so the applications are due in a few weeks, and the public can submit applications to www.sfmta.com slash calming. MTA will evaluate the applications received and recommend treatments, and these are mostly the, the, the low-cost, easier-to-implement treatments, such as speed humps, um, and anticipates being able to evaluate um, and then ultimately um, do project development for about 50 of those applications received, and the projects would be open for use anticipated by December of 2017. But this is for the planning and evaluation work. Next request is for Glen Park Phase 2. So this is um, for the continuation of traffic calming and pedestrian improvements near the Glen Park BART station as recommended in the Glen Park Community Plan. Um, phase 1 is completed, and for Phase 2, this is for um, community outreach, feasibility analysis, preliminary engineering, and ultimately preferred design recommendations for Bosworth and Arlington and Bosworth and Lyle. So this includes this is for the planning phase of work. Next request is for a District 6 Neighborhood Transportation Improvement Program Capital Project. It's a request for about $30,000 um, for the South Park Traffic Calming Project, and this will install um, traffic calming and pedest uh, pavement markings at the east and west entrances to South Park to complement a parks project that is currently underway. And so this will uh, bring the traffic calming elements to the, to the project scope. And the last request is from the SFMTA for the 66 Kantara Reconfiguration Study. This is a District 4 Neighborhood Transportation Improvement Program planning project. Um, the project um, will evaluate underutilized muni routes, particularly the 66 Kantara, but not limited to that route, to strengthen the west side's access to transit hubs. And this, was a, this is a follow-up to recommendations coming from the Transportation Authority's Strategic Analysis Report that was adopted by the board this spring. And preliminary recommendations are anticipated in June of 2017 with a final report in the fall.
And with that, I can take any questions, and uh, several project managers are also here as well. Thank you. Colleagues, uh, any questions or comments on the projects? Okay. Well, seeing none, and um, I think that these are all great projects to move forward with. So at this time, we will open up item 6 to public comment. So any members of the public who wish to speak on item 6, please come on up. Good morning, commissioners. <clears throat> I'm Alice Rogers. Um, I'm a 20-year-plus resident on South Park um, and a member of the South Park Improvement Association who has requested this um, funding. And I'm just here this morning um, to express how important this funding is to our neighborhood. The traffic calming um, element is very um, significant to us. We have now increased traffic due to um, the wayfinding applications that are driving more cars into our neighborhood. Um, off the major arterials, and we have a lot of special events. On top of that, we have um, close to 100 SRO units, and um, my neighbors are uh, largely aging in place, like me, um, and uh, increasingly um, afflicted with sort of age-related and health-related disabilities. And we expect more children to be coming to our playground, so the traffic calming is really important. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other members of the public who wish to speak on item six? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Colleagues, can we get a motion on item six? All right. Thank you. Moved Second. by Commissioner Avalos, seconded by Commissioner Farrell, who has now joined us, and we'll do a roll call vote. All right. On item six, uh, Commissioner Avalos? Aye. Avalos, aye. Commissioner Breed? Aye. Breed, aye. Commissioner Farrell? Aye. Farrell, aye. Commissioner Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Commissioner Tang? Aye. Tang, aye. Item is approved. All right. This item is approved. Thank you. And uh, at this time, I want to go back to item five and just see if uh, Mr. Lerma is here by chance. If not, I would like us to just move forward with the item. All right. Okay. Mr. Pickford, is uh, Mr. Lerma is not here. I do not see him. Okay. Hands. Well, at this time, I... Uh, I think that attendance is incredibly important uh, for the CAC. Um, you know, I did hear the explanation from Mr. Larkin about being out of the country. Um, so again, I, I would condition this approval today, uh, my support for him based on, you know, I hope this, this uh, won't happen again or that at least that you will give the CAC um, the heads up about it. So um, at this time, do we have a motion, colleagues, to at least maybe move forward with uh, Mr. Larkin? So moved. Okay, seconded by Commissioner Farrell. And can we do that without objection? Okay, we'll do that without objection. So we're only moving forward with Mr. Larkin today. Um, oh, I'm sorry, we need to do public comment. Um, so if we can resume that vote. Um, and we'll, Okay, thank you. So we'll resume that vote on item six, I mean five, and we will go to public comment. No public comment. Oh, Ms. Sachs, yes? Okay. I've known Mr. Larkin for many years. I've known him for over 20 years. And the two of us wrote, pro we were, he has a very extensive background in, in, in transportation. He helped write Prop B back in 1989 with me. He, he, and he's been, he's been the chair and the vice chair of our, our CAC during his tenure on the CAC. And I, I strongly support him being reappointed because he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He makes he makes value makes valuable valuable comments and asks essential questions when items are brought before us at our meetings. And I strongly approve him 
being reappointed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Uh, I wanted to reiterate what Jackie uh, said, uh, just as the, as the chair of the current CAC, uh, I rely on Mr. Larkin quite a bit for uh, his, his really thoughtful comments, his longevity on the committee, and uh, next to Jackie, uh, he is the longest serving member on the committee, and I, I would really hate to see him leave, and I'm, I'm glad to hear the, uh, the pre-vote that you just made um, indicating that you would support him also. So I, I really uh, look forward to continuing working with Brian uh, on the committee. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Any other members of the public who wish to comment on item five? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Now if we can get that motion again for Mr. Larkin. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioners Breed and Farrell, and we can do that without objection. <laughs> item seven. Item seven, update on the I-80 Yerba Buena Island Eastside Ramps Project. This is an information item. Thank you. We have Dale Dennis here. Good morning, Chair Tang and Commissioners. Uh, my name is Dale Dennis, and I'm the Authority's Project Manager for the Yerba Buena Island Eastside Ramps Project. And this morning, I'll be presenting a status update on the project. Wait a minute for the slide presentation to start. Here we go. There we go. Thanks. Thank you. The um, starting off with a quick see how quick it is. Do you have any extras? Starting off with a, a quick uh, photo of Yerba Buena Island with the East Bay span in the background. Um, the uh, next slide actually shows the current uh, construction status of the Ramps Project. The Ramps Project was awarded in December of 2013. It's currently 90% complete, on time, and under budget. The uh, current construction capital phase budget is $63.89 million, and our, our DBE goal is 12.5%, and we're on target to meet that goal. The new ramps opening, we're currently planning for a September 2016 ramp opening. There'll be some additional landscaping work that needs to follow beyond the opening, but uh, that should be uh, wrapped up by the end of the year as well. Some of the milestones uh, over, the, over the summer and uh, concluding with the ramp opening in September, we're currently, the contractor's currently working on the bridge barriers um, and as well as uh, in August, we'll be moving forward with the Northgate McCullough reconstruction and the seismic bridge deck joint. And then following up in September, we'll move on to the uh, traffic electrical signing and striping, and then that will essentially put us in a position where we can open the ramps in late September. And then again, uh, beyond that, we will be doing landscaping through the balance of the year, wrapping up at the, uh, the end of the calendar year. 
Just of note, there are some interesting facts and figures associated with the project. There's 12,500 cubic yards of structural concrete being used in the construction, over 1,400 truckloads. There's over 5 million pounds of reinforcing steel. There's actually 37,000 feet of piling, over seven miles of piles, and as much as 185 tons of structural steel. So it's, it's just, a, uh, it's been a very challenging, but a very striking and, and uh, uh, important project with uh, a, lot of, a lot of elements going into it. The uh, next uh, photo actually gives you a, an aerial view of the improvements uh, from up above the tunnel on the island. And so it, it's a, it's a uh, <clears throat> it gives you a good depiction of where the off-ramp and on-ramp geometrics will tie in in its, uh, when it's ready to open. There are a couple of things that efforts we're moving forward with as well in association with the ramps project. We have been working with Caltrans, with the Bay Area Toll Authority, BATA, uh, the Coast Guard, the Bicycle Coalition, and TIDA to actually look at doing some improvements. At, we call them bike ped, like Vista Point improvements. When Caltrans gets ready to open the bike ped facility on the bridge, that's through the orange color you see on the slides. That's the touchdown area. Caltrans is currently constructing that area. What we, in working with our partners on this project, we have, uh, in addition, lo are looking at installing improvements at Vista Point. And that's the area you'll see in the yellow, green, orange, and blue. Those are where we'll be putting, um, we'll be putting uh, amenities on quarters nine. We're working with the Coast Guard as a partner in that effort. The Vista Point amenities, it'll, they'll be including a hydration station, restrooms, bicycle racks, benches, and in addition, we'll have a parking area to, uh, to allow folks to park and, and gain access to Vista Point as well as the, the uh, bike ped facility on the bridge. This, we think, is, is very important to get something in place because there is still so much additional development and construction going on on the island. This will be a, a, an excellent point uh, where folks using the facility will have a safe area to actually enjoy the island. The uh, current funding plan for these improvements, we're estimating $2 million for, for, for funding. That will be uh, completed with BATA and authority funds. Uh, the portion from the authority will be um, from a, a construction change order through the ramps project. And again, we're looking at the Vista Point opening to be in the fall of this year as well. And this, this picture is a photo of what the, the uh, travelers to Vista Point would actually be able to see from Vista Point with a nice shot of the uh, east span of the Bay Bridge. Uh, Commissioner Breed has a question. Thank you. Um, so what happened to the Nimitz house and the other houses that were in that location? Were they torn down? No, they were actually protected. There was, okay. there was one quarters 10 that was relocated over to the cove but uh, the others were protected in place. So they're still there? They are. So does anyone live in them or they're just empty? They're empty at this point. Okay, thanks. The other, 
lost it. Ah, here we go. The other um, area of improvements that we're looking at on the island is over the last few months, we've actually been looking at the uh, operations and the local circulation. And so we are, this, this uh, photo you have in front of you, or exhibit, actually shows the, the planned Southgate Road um, alignment. This was what was originally being planned by Caltrans over the last few months in working with TIDA, Caltrans, the Coast Guard, uh, BATA, and uh, as well as MTA and DPW. We have evaluated this area with the local uh, circulation and have determined there's significant plan deficiencies with the, the current configuration of Southgate. If you look at the configuration, it's anticipated from the traffic consultant that there could be queue spillbacks on the 80 from the eastbound off-ramp. There would be bike ped vehicle conflicts from the Vista Point uh, that we just reviewed. There's no public parking currently planned with the project. And then Southgate and Hillcrest, there are some circulation deficiencies. In fact, the, they're, as currently designed, there's truck turning deficiencies. It hasn't really been designed to allow for truck turning movements. So we, again, we've been working with Caltrans, BATA, the Coast Guard, all of our partners in the city. And we have, with our engineering team, have developed a proposed new Southgate alignment. And you'll see the uh, new alignment <coughs> uh, brings Southgate around quarters eight and under the eastbound off-ramp to tie in. This separates the pedestrian uh, bike pedestrian path over to Vista Point, so you can now see that separation, so the conflict has been removed. But with this configuration, the, uh, it reduces the queuing onto I-80 because there is no potential backup. There's free flow of traffic. It eliminates the bike ped vehicle conflict. We also establish a parking area around quarters eight. And with the traffic circulation in this fashion, uh, we're able to accommodate a much greater throughput of, of vehicles. And then finally, every, with the new configuration, it's been designed so that uh, it accommodates all truck turning movements. The, we have, um, everyone has concurred with the, the plan and the improvements. The current status is, is now moving forward with the implementation plan. Caltrans has issued a deductive change order to their contract to remove the current Southgate Road reconstruction plan. And then the, the next step is, is actually to work through a funding solution to implement the Southgate realignment. And we're currently working with uh, our funding partners with Caltrans and uh, BATA to go ahead and develop that funding plan and hope to have it uh, put together within the next two or three months. But with that, I'd uh, open up to any questions. Commissioner Breed. Thank you. Um, so what's the plan for that area um, once the ramps are done? Below the ramps, the Coast Guard area, or up above? Um, mostly the area that's non-Coast Guard related. The, that's open to the general public. Uh, the plans are to, to go ahead and continue to have the Great Whites and, and the Admiral's House still available for rental again or for usage. And the um, up above, the uh, in, on Yuba Buena Island, uh, TIDA is working for de developing uh, Yerba Buena Island. 
You're Babuena as a whole, but the, uh, which also includes this specific area? Yeah, the... I can, because what I'm thinking, you, you have, for example, the new ramps, which will make it a lot safer to exit and, and get onto the bridge. You have a bike lane where you have people who are going to be riding their bikes and going into the area. So it's not as if they're going to be able to make it to the other side of the island. I don't believe, based on the fact that there aren't going to necessarily be bike lanes in the hills and just the ability to get to the other side would be really challenging based on where the bike lanes are. So more than likely, you have bicyclists who are going to go on to Buena, uh, uh, Yerba Buena Island, and the question, I guess, is what happens then? Because um, is there a pathway to their... I mean, I'm concerned about safety because they may try to go to the other side where... Um, there are the views of the city, and a lot of tourists do try and go to the other side. Um, but more importantly, what's being proposed in the area that would, um, I guess, have people who visit the area stay in the areas to avoid any safety issues, I guess. Right. Now, that's a, that's a good question. Actually, what, what is happening with uh, TIDA is moving forward with a uh, development plan, and there will be the 16-foot uh, bicycle ped path leaving the bridge. There will be a continuous bike ped facility uh, down and under the bridge, and then over to McCullough, and a 16-foot bike ped both direction facility all the way down. In the that bridge. narrow area under the bridge? Yes. Okay. You're going to add some more landfill or something to the rock next to it? Uh, no, in fact, if we go back to the exhibit, I'm not quite sure how to do that, but uh, let's go back to the exhibit that shows the Southgate realignment. And you'll see in the orange that the, um, the light orange is where Caltrans does the touchdown. And then you will see in the darker orange, the, as the trail curls around and under the bridge. So that uh, is where the 16-foot path continues. Mm -hmm. Oops, disappeared again. So if you look at the coming down the, the light orange, the touchdown area from the bridge, then you'll see the darker orange path it allows you to go over to Vista Point, or it, it sweeps back under the bridge and ties over to McCullough. And so then McCullough has a 16-foot bike path all the way down to Treasure Island. And it's... Um, yeah, it'll be two ways. Yeah. It's also really dark down there at nighttime. Um, so is it going to be closed or open 24 hours? How does that work? Well, during the development, there will be lighting in installed as well. But once the development is done... Yes. Okay. All right. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, one, one thing that Tilly brought up is the, the current plan, the Vista Point, is because the construction of Southgate with this bike path still isn't completed. That will be work we're working on the funding plan and will be implemented over the next year or so. But once we finish the, what you see here in the orange, 
uh, Tida with, with their developer is still going through the reconstructing McCullough Road. And the current plan for McCullough Road to be constructed is somewhere in late uh, 2017 or mid 2018. So there's just going to be a huge amount of development work and road construction, new tank, water tanks being constructed. There's a whole plan laid out by Tida and, and their developer for developing YBI and the roadway system. And then the other project the authority has moving forward is once the road, um, McCullough Road gets constructed with the, with the two-way, it'll be two-way traffic initially, and then we'll be closing a portion of Hillcrest and Treasure Island because we're reconstructing all the west side bridges. And so that project is currently in the design phase, and we anticipate that going out to construction in probably spring of 2018. Okay. Excuse me. I just to add on this, Tilly Chang, Executive Director, to add on Dale's answer there, in the meantime, while McCullough Road is closed for two years, while they construct reconstruct it, there, there is um, even currently now and will continue to be a Caltrans shuttle that will allow folks to get back down to Clipper Cove area, including bicycles. So it has a bicycle trailer, and that provides for our bike connection back down to the more sort of east eastward-facing um, city-facing side of the island, of Treasure Island. What about Muni? Uh, Muni currently, I think, operates, uh, of course, the 108, the 25 line. Uh, they don't, I don't think they have a line that goes up to the top of Yerba Buena Island, but I'm not sure. Was, no, they don't. It, it was suspended, it was suspended. Uh, by Caltrans during construction, so Caltrans currently has a shuttle, shuttle that sits out there today, kind of operating in place of the Muni. And then once everything gets reconstructed, Muni services will be um, much, much greater and back in service. But, you know, there's a lot of people who don't have vehicles who live on um, Treasure Island, and I guess I'm trying to understand, you know, what's going to happen to them as a result of this um, work that's going to need to be done. I mean, they completely rely on Muni. Yeah, there's there's Muni service to Treasure Island today. The but it's not gonna. But it's not going to decrease during no, this time period. It's not going to decrease. In fact, the the current plan for uh, Tida and their developer is as the island develops out, they'll have a transit center on Treasure Island, and the Muni and they'll even start bringing AC transit buses in, and then there'll be a shuttle uh, intra island shuttle. Uh, system that goes into Got place it. bringing folks okay. back. Okay, thank you. Yes. All right, colleagues, any other questions or comments? Okay, seeing none, then this was an information item, but we'll open it up to public comment. Thank you very much for the presentation. Any members of the public who wish to speak on item seven, please come on up. Hi, Commissioners. My name is Danny Colosta, and I'm a campaign assistant on staff representing the San Francisco Bicycle <coughs> Coalition. On behalf of our 10,000-plus members, we are very excited that the East Side Ramps project is nearing completion so that people will finally be able to bike from Oakland to San Francisco, landing on the edges of our city at Yerba Buena Island. We recognize that this project is expected to complete this fall, but approximately a year later than expected. However, the project that exists today to create a new landing and Vista Point at Quarters 9 is ensuring that people arriving on foot and by bike at this location are properly welcomed and can take in the iconic views of downtown San Francisco. With the projections of 10,000 people biking the Bay Bridge from the West Span Pathway connects both sides of the Bay, we know how popular this landing point will be. 
This landing onto Yerba Buena Island is a critical piece in the puzzle of completing the full journey. So we want to thank SFCTA and especially Eric Cordoba for his hard work on this project. We also thank the U.S. Coast Guard for their partnership and the flexibility around Quarters 9. Being able to bike the full length of the Bay Bridge remains one of our members' highest hopes and dreams, so we look forward to celebrating the opening of this portion, of our par of this portion with our partners at Bike East Bay, our members, and our TA commissioners to get us closer to the full SF to Oakland connection. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other members of the public who wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And again, that was an information item. Item eight, please. Item eight, update on late night transportation plan. This is an information item. Thank you. We have Colin Dental Post. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, Adam Taylor from Supervisor Wiener's office. Uh, good morning, Adam Taylor. Uh, thank you, Chair Tang and Commissioners, for the opportunity to speak today. Uh, the Supervisor regrets he's unable to attend, but he did ask that I read the following statement on his behalf. San Francisco is a 24-hour world-class city, and our transportation system needs to reflect that reality. Our nighttime economy, $4.2 billion in size, employs over 52,000 people and generates over $50 million in annual tax revenue. Moreover, nightlife, bars, clubs, live music, arts, theater, and so forth, is part of San Francisco's cultural heart. Residents, both San Franciscans and residents of other cities, come here late night and early morning to go out and to travel to or from work. Yet as important as our nighttime economy is to our cultural and economic life, our late night transportation system doesn't reflect that fact. Instead, the system is structured as if everyone went home before midnight and woke up after sunrise. Late night and early morning public transportation is often inadequate or non-existent, and patrons as well as late night and early morning workers have suffered as a result. Our lack of viable transit options encourages people to drive, puts significant financial burdens on workers, and puts both patrons and workers at risk of crime. To address this, I convened a hearing on our city's late night and early morning transportation needs and authored legislation creating the Late Night Transportation Working Group charged with studying the problem and making recommendations to move toward a more robust and reliable nighttime and early morning transportation system. Today, I'm in full support of the continued implementation of these recommendations before you today, and I'm committed to working with the Transportation Authority, Office of Economic and Workforce Development, the Entertainment Commission, and the Late Night Transportation Working Group to ensure we are providing a better transit network for our late night and early morning patrons and workers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, Commissioners. Uh, this is an update, and I'll try to keep it quick on the late night transportation study. And thanks to Adam Taylor for um, kicking us off. This is item eight in your packet, and it's just an info item. As Adam mentioned, this has been led by the late night transportation working group, which consists of stakeholders from the entertainment industry and then also employers uh, who rely on late night workers. And a lot of the focus has been on getting late night workers to these jobs that rely on uh, on that late night transportation network. And really it functions as a lifeline service to do that. So we've been working with the working group as well as uh, transit agencies and OEWD and the Entertainment Commission to move forward a set of initiatives that were identified first in the final report from phase one of the study last year. and. One of those was just to continue the working group, which has happened. The other four, I'll give you just the, the briefest of updates and happy to answer questions. 
Uh, the first of those that most of the presentation focuses on is an update to the late night bus network which operates between roughly the hours of midnight and 5 a.m. when the rail service in the city uh, is undergoing maintenance and so the bus network fills in both for rail services as well as the daytime bus network and so we've taken a close look at that then there's also a pilot program for location specific improvements in neighborhoods where there's a concentration of late night activity and so the idea there is to build a toolbox that could be applied in various neighborhoods around the city uh, based on interest from business improvement districts the first two neighborhoods that um, OEWD is, is leading working with on that are the Lower Polk and Union Square uh, neighborhoods but the idea is to build this toolbox where you can identify needs and then um, and then identify specific locations for improvements like taxi stands or next muni signs or lighting or bus stop improvements another thing that we're excited about this rolling out actually this week is a coordinated information campaign so one of the findings of the first phase of the study was that a lot of folks even who depend on the late night transportation network don't really even know a lot of the resources that are out there and so uh, this is going to be a multi-lingual multi-channel and you may actually already see, I, I noticed last night on BART there, are the, the new ads are up to help communicate that the late night network is, is out there and direct people, particularly to the 511 website, uh, which is allnighter.511.org that has new resources, including a new uh, system-wide all-nighter transit map. Uh, and so we can then get people the, the resources they need from the different operators. And then lastly, we're putting together a monitoring practice. So the last time the all-nighter bus network had a comprehensive look was 10 years ago, and we want to make sure that it's more frequent henceforth. So we're working on a practice to analyze service and, and the network performance more frequently. So I'll just breeze through the, the service analysis piece, and, and again, happy to, to answer questions. Uh, the first step we've undertaken, and we're working closely with transit operators on this work, is to step back from the existing network and just look at the actual demand and data that we have on existing work trips that folks are making around the region late at night and so that's a total of 43,000 trips and that's people traveling within San Francisco as well as to and from either people who live outside San Francisco or and commute in or vice versa uh, during this all night midnight to 5 a.m. period so we've looked at where they live and work and also some demographic factors uh, income low-income folks and people without access to cars to because we know that that those are the people who most rely on on this service so that's the first piece of analysis and then we're following that with a look at the existing service and its performance and then identifying recommendations for uh, improvements to the network moving forward so some of the, the key takeaways from this are within San Francisco, there is a fairly dense network of all-night service, but there are some key gaps, such as uh, where the, along the Embarcadero up to Fisherman's Wharf. There are a lot of jobs up there that are not served by the late-night network, so that's one example. We did identify that a lot of the home and work late-night locations are in the northeastern quadrant of the city, but they're also scattered uh, throughout other neighborhoods as well, and particularly employment centers where there are hospitals or industrial areas um, or universities. 
So looking regionally, a lot of folks are coming into San Francisco. Uh, we hear this also from employers around the, around the city that they rely on these workers from outside the city to, to make their businesses function. And a lot of those folks are coming from the East Bay, about half of them, but a substantial number are also coming from the San Mateo, particularly the El Camino corridor down to SFO, which has no all-nighter service currently. So that's an opportunity area. And then lastly, there's a smaller group of workers, but still significant, that's commuting from San Francisco. These are residents of the city out to, to areas around the region. And the main finding there is that most of those people are going to San Mateo County and particularly jobs in the SFO and surrounding areas and then along that El Camino corridor up to Daly City. And a lot of those folks are coming from the southern portions of uh, neighborhoods along in the city and there are really poor connections uh, to uh, along that corridor and to those jobs. So that's another opportunity. So the, the final slide just sums up some of the, the key opportunities that we're looking, uh, we're looking more closely at together with our transit partners. Again, the Fisherman's Wharf, some of the Park Merced is another opportunity area of folks that is, are, are not currently served very well by the system. And then in San Mateo County, we're looking closely at that El Camino corridor and how we can fill that in with uh, all-night service and better link it with Muni service. So we're working with operators on what ideas could be there. And then lastly, in the East Bay, there are some gaps also, such as north of the Richmond BART, where people are commuting into the city, and we want to figure out how to better, uh, better serve those trips. So again, we're looking now at the existing service, how it's operating, and uh, we'll come back to you with, uh, when, we, when we have uh, final recommendations and uh, get your thoughts on those as well. So thank you, happy to take any questions. Thank you very much for your work on this and for your presentation. Um, seeing no questions or comments from colleagues, then we'll just open up this item to public comment. So if anyone wants to speak on item eight, please come on up. Good morning, commissioners. My name is Jackie Sachs. As you know, I'm a member of the, mem I'm a member of the CAC. I've also been in this working group, working with this working group, attending the working group meetings since October of last year. And last, last February, someone, someone came in front of the CAC with his other nine to five uh, vision and we do nothing about it. And I, I, I it caught my eye because I'm a night owl. I go out in the evenings. I don't go to bed at midnight like everybody else does. But anyway, um, I, uh, I worked at, I, 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 attend, I attended all the workshop meetings and I told them that they should look, at, look back to where the service, before the service was cut at de December of 2009, in, in, in December 5th, 2009, they should go back and look at the 2002 booklet and see how often the buses ran and how late they ran for the simple reason that there were, there were articles in the paper and on, on TV, there, there was new news items that the, the, the uh, people at Fisherman's Wharf were losing money because their workers could not get to work and they had to quit, this sort of thing. And then they had to hire tech buses to take them, to take them uh, home or take them to the BART, whatever, this sort of thing. And I strongly urge you to look into the late back, look back to where the service was before it was quit, before it was cut on December 5th, 2009. Look at, look into the 2002 booklet 
that was published, the last schedules that were published back in 2002. Look and see what was going on then and what is going on now, because as it is now, you have to wait before before 2000 before 2009. You had to wait. You had to wait mo no more than 10 minutes for a transfer bus. Now you have to wait up to a half an hour. This sort of thing, and I think it's ludicrous. There are people that work in hotels and restaurants, and people work the swing shift and graveyard shift that have to get to and from work. Take those people and the people that are with disabilities that are traveling up at late at night into consideration. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Any other members of the public who wish to comment on item eight? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And again, that was an information item, so let's call item nine. Item nine, recommend adoption of the San Francisco Parking Supply and Utilization Study Summary Report. This is an action item. Thank you, we have Michael Schwartz. Hi, good morning, Commissioners Chair Tang, Michael Schwartz, Principal Planner. Um, I will uh, make this brief. Uh, this study uh, dates back to the adoption of the Mobility Access and Pricing Study, which I think uh, many of you in this room may not have been on the board at that time. Uh, but that adoption uh, said that, yes, we believe that area-wide congestion pricing um, is a feasible way to manage congestion in downtown San Francisco, but we'd like to see you explore a few different things before we would uh, further pursue that. Uh, one was implementation of um, better transit uh, to be able to support the mode shift needed. And so we've seen since then the implementation of Muni Forward, Central Subway is under construction, Van Ness BRT, as you heard earlier today, is going to go under construction. Um, so that uh, moved forward, um, as well as looking at um, some of the things that we can do with our freeways. And then the final piece was what role could parking play to potentially be an alternative or supportive measure uh, to con uh, cordon-based pricing. So that really is the focus of this study, is that last piece. And this is really part of a larger demand management approach. Um, and so the, the key goals are really about answering that question, um, and the evaluation is very narrowly focused on congestion-based metrics. So mode shift, reducing vehicle miles traveled and vehicle hours of delay. Um, and as a byproduct, we also were able to get a, an estimate of the off-street um, supply, not counted in the SF Park Census, and um, I'll go into that in just a little bit. Next slide, please. And so we looked at 13 different strategies that fell into four different buckets. Uh, Fee-based, which is really the closest thing to mirroring that area-based pricing. Uh, bulk discount elimination, so the idea that you have to pay for parking on a, on a daily basis. Um, Supply-based approaches, as well as cash out, where you're offered an alternative to a parking space. You're offered um, the cash equivalent of that parking space. And so the results, the first thing is this um, parking, off-street parking supply. And this is, again, um, non-residential parking, and this is off-street, so not what's on the street itself. Uh, we did find that the SF Park Census did uh, discover about 96% um, of what the parking supply is. So we do think we have a good handle on that. Uh, and just to kind of get your heads around this, uh, the total parking supply off-street non-residential is about 87,000 in that sort of northeast cordon downtown area and about double that uh, citywide. Um, again, if you throw in some of the residential parking or other residential parking, it's about 500 to 600,000 spaces citywide. Uh, and so then this is just a reminder of the evaluation framework. You can actually go to the next slide. Just a question if yes. you're counting the hundreds of cars, at least the Excelsior District, that park on the sidewalk, is that considered street parking or non-street parking? 
That, uh, good question. This is just the actual legal spaces themselves. So this doesn't count the cars that use them. Those would be in addition if you wanted to count those as spaces. Um, we, we do not count those as spaces as planners. The uh, results from this uh, is finding that the parking strategies do have a modest effect on reducing congestion. So this is looking at vehicle miles traveled in the AM peak in that study area, that northeast quadrant of the city. Uh, and we did find that um, cash out performed a little less effectively than some of the fees. Um, we checked, tested both a $3 and a $6 peak fee. The $3 is the closest to that cordon-based uh, pricing approach. Uh, and we found that it was somewhere between 2 and 4% reduction in vehicle miles travel, which is significant. Um, but to give you a sense of the order of magnitude, the area-wide pricing uh, performed more than twice as well as, as the parking-based approaches. And I'll get to the reasons why in just a minute. Um, the other thing we did is we did look at what kind of revenue would be generated. And we did find, not surprisingly, that if you charge a fee uh, during the peak, you will generate a significant amount of revenue. Um, this is on the order of magnitude of some local revenue measures. Uh, we did not test the reinvestment of that revenue into better transit service and what some of the improvements would be. Obviously, once that was taken into account, that would um, Im improve some of the results that we found. So the general conclusion is that um, parking is a good tool for managing um, congestion, but that we're already doing um, a pretty reasonable job of this. We do know that um, parking is priced pretty high in the downtown districts. And what we found is the reason that parking is maybe not as effective is that the pass-through trips, the people who drive through that northeast quadrant but don't park there, would be untouched by parking. Uh, the parking fee, but would be touched by the cordon-based pricing. And those people tend to pay much less in parking and therefore are much more um, likely to be uh, to have their trip shifted. Um, so that is a, a significant piece of why um, it might not work. Also, the residential piece, so people who live in that district would not be um, touched by the, the parking fee. So uh, the general takeaway is that um, there are some other challenges as well with the parking. Um, in 2010, there was um, a different conversation around parking with SF Park going in, but we do know that um, there is some challenges politically with um, some of these parking approaches. Um, and the operators do have different priorities. So if we were to reduce the number of people parking in downtown, we might see the operators then sort of reduce their prices to better fill up their garages. And we obviously can't control private parking garages. And so um, the final recommendations, uh, we do uh, are requesting that you consider this for adoption today um, and that we continue some of the parking initiatives that are going on in the city. Um, so the first is the TDM ordinance, uh, which we talked about last month, as well as a, a, an update to the residential parking permit evaluation and reform project that MTA is undertaking. Uh, and in terms of pricing, you heard a little bit about Treasure Island um, and Yerba Buena Island earlier today. That will be our first demonstration project of where we um, price people coming on and off the bridge uh, and supplement with transit improvements, um, as well as our freeway corridor management study looking at managed lanes on the freeway, and then BART Perked, which is really the flip side of how do we incentivize people to travel at a slightly less congested time on our transit system. Uh, so with that, I'm happy to take any questions. I do just want to acknowledge both our funding partners as well as our technical consultants. Thank you for your presentation. Commissioner Breed? I just have one question. Yes. When is all this studies and changes and mode shift and all the things that, when are we going to start feeling the impacts of a lot of this stuff that we're funding? Uh, because this city is, seems to be a lot more congested than it's ever been. And we've supported studies, we've supported changes. 
We've spent so much money to address um, safety and mode shift and so on and so forth. When are we going to start feeling the impacts of all this money that we're spending on this? That's a, that's, that's a great question and a, a broad one that I'll try to address. I know um, actually the next item is about the long-range plan, which we can talk about, and, and that is part of the answer, which is that some of these initiatives do take a little bit of time to feel, and certainly um, as we've seen the economy get white hot as it's been now, it comes on much quicker than we can keep up with a trend like that. Um, and in, for example, in 2010, when we were doing the congestion pricing study, the cordon pricing, a lot of people said, why are you even studying this? We don't feel any congestion. And that was only about six years ago. So it is part of it is that it takes time. Um, and then the other piece is, I think, a, a very good point, which is that we do need to um, continue to prioritize good projects, get them implemented more quickly. Uh, you know, we know that things like the Central Subway will be opening up, and that will be a huge change in transit. Uh, the Van Ness BRT, um, the item you approved earlier today, but um, there is sort of a constraint to the system and the way it's built, and so that's partly why I know there are things like um, revenue measures under consideration um, for much bigger um, state of good repair, but also sort of things like transit expansion projects and some, some major changes. So I don't know if that, that answers your question. Uh, I know it's frustrating. We all wish that things could move Just, more quickly. It's going to get worse before it gets better? I don't because it's gotten worse. <laughs> let me let me step aside and let. And, and I'll say this: yes, I'm not necessarily optimistic that as it gets worse, that it's actually going to get better. I think that's where, you know, well, that's what I'm seeing. So I'm I'm concerned. So Commissioner, absolutely, it's hard for us to keep up. But the city has also grown tremendously. Uh, the number of jobs and um, the number of folks who are coming in each day to our city has increased rapidly, well beyond our ability to keep up, particularly on public transportation. But the good news is there is some evidence that our strategies are working. More and more people are walking and biking. Um, our safety record is uh, still something we need to be working on, but it has been flat, even though other um, the use of our streets has increased by, by all modes. So we are seeing in the face of tremendous growth the abil ability to sort of um, keep uh, uh, sort of a, uh, maintain our progress is something that we're still working on but there's some evidence of, of, of progress there because we've been able to accommodate a lot more folks. Now we're at, we're at the limit now BART, Muni, and Caltrain are completely packed, and the vehicles that we've approved locally here in San Francisco with our Prop K and that we've been able to get some state funding and federal funding for are critical for the Muni expansion. Um, so thank you to the board for that and the voters, but also to be able to continue that with BART and Caltrain and additional Muni vehicles for the second and third tranches will be our challenge. But that's keeping our buses in a state of good repair, um, being able to turn over the entire fleet of Muni vehicles that, as we're doing today to support MTA, that's keeping those buses reliable on the street, giving them priority so that they can move through traffic, uh, allowing more people through our streets more efficiently and reliably. That's our strategy. And there's some evidence it is working. Um, Albeit, you know, it's it's fair that it's not happening quickly enough. Yeah, and also I think part of the thing that we need to always take into consideration, which we don't when we talk about transportation, is the fact that there is a lot of work being done on our streets. Yes. Um, underground work for pipes and changes to our infrastructure, um, construction everywhere, everywhere, which doesn't necessarily include transportation, which makes congestion worse. Um, so I think ultimately when we're looking at a long-term plan, the question from, from my perspective is, you know, what are we going to do 
um, separately from, you know, all of these great things sound good in theory and on paper, but it doesn't take into consideration what people are actually experiencing out on the streets with congestion, um, and it can be quite frustrating. We understand that, and we're trying to give people better information, um, allow them to avoid congestion, and now there are mapping technologies that allow folks to avoid some congestion. Um, but we've been able to track what we call vehicle miles traveled as a city. So more and more folks who are coming to the city, and even those who are here, um, are choosing other modes, and we're seeing less automobile or private vehicle usage. Um, that's not to say that we you know, uh, don't need to accommodate that for those who rely on their vehicles. I'm just saying that as the city has grown, we've seen the VMT trends be pretty flat, and that's because a lot of the folks who are coming here or who are here are coming without their vehicles or shedding a car, dropping their car usage, finding alternative modes to be attractive enough. Um, it's true that we see more uh, construction works on the street, and that causes fewer lanes of, of traffic, uh, or excuse me, travel. And then we also see the shifting of some lanes to bicycling, walking, and transit. And so those are the shifts that we've put into place. It's part of how our city's transit first policies uh, have been implemented. So both of those trends allow for um, transit first modes to move, but also create some temporary, hopefully short-term congestion as people make their transition uh, to other modes. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. So at this time, let's open up this item to public comment. Any members wish to comment on this, please comment up. Seeing none, public comment is closed. And now if we can get a motion to adopt uh, the parking supply and utilization summary report. So moved. Thank you, Commissioner Avalos, seconded by Commissioner Farrell, and we can do that without objection. This report is adopted. Item 10. Item 10, introducing Connect SF Long Range Vision and Initial Round of Public Outreach. This is an information item. Thank you. We have Michael Schwartz again. Hi, good morning again, commissioners. I'm going to briefly introduce uh, my colleague, Marisa Espinosa, from the Planning Department, and also Graham Satterway is here in attendance from the SFMTA. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, both Michael and I are here to introduce ConnectSF, which is a multi-agency effort to look at the future of San Francisco from both a transportation and a land use perspective. When we think about San Francisco, uh, we think about our transportation network. It's a key role, a key defining role of people's daily lives, how they work, how they live, how they get around. Um, as this defining element, it is a character of our city's livability, our economic vibrancy, our environmental quality, and our urban life. This effort is citywide, and it will work to consolidate and coordinate transportation-related planning efforts to improve mobility for all people in San Francisco. I'm excited to introduce this effort because it is a collaborative between the San Francisco Planning Department, the SFMTA, the Transportation Authority, the San Francisco Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and as well uh, the Mayor's Office. Thinking about this collaborative effort, I want to walk through how we got to the idea to create this long-range transportation planning program. As you can see, there's a few major components. Um, some of the things that uh, you as commissioners care deeply about are the San Francisco Transportation Plan, which looks out to 2050 and thinks about what are the priorities, what are the investments and projects that you want uh, for the city for the future of transportation. As well as a planning department, we have a role to play in updating our city's general plan, in particular the transportation elements that sets out guiding policies for how we think about circulation within our city. 
as a starting point, we think about uh, these major components and we realized, and the leadership of these different organizations working together on different aspects of both transportation and land use for the city realized that there was a bigger, larger guiding vision that needed to happen in order to ensure that all of these things are coordinated. As well, we will be undertaking a series of modal studies, so thinking about both the short-range and the very long-range efforts that need to happen to work together to coordinate and shape the overall uh, transportation network. In fact, it's an important role that these city agencies are playing to work together to achieve real progress. As Commissioner Breed mentioned, uh, people recognize and feel when we have gaps in our transportation system that aren't working. And we all have a role to play as city agencies for the legacy that we want to leave for our city, having a robust transportation network that gets people where they need to go when they need to get there. I'll walk through uh, a few slides ahead uh, to each of the major components that we'll be undertaking. And we're here to talk to you early because we will uh, talk in a bit about going out to the public in the early fall. But we wanted to get ahead of the curve, introduce you to this overall program, think about how each of our agencies will play a role in helping understand what are the public's needs and experiences with transportation to ensure that we're planning and shifting the dialogue, not just to the needs of today, but also to think about the needs of the future. I'd like to start by talking about the transportation vision, uh, which is the first main component of this multi-year effort. The vision will look out over 50 years and would not be funding constrained. It will allow us to think about big ideas, bold ideas, and opportunities to shape and shift the way that our city land use and transportation uh, network looks overall. We will identify goals, objectives, and a policy framework that will help us guide major decisions around transportation policy into the future. We will identify key uncertainties and drivers of change. Some examples of this uh, in uh, recent years are um, our economy and thinking about what are the major disruptors in our economy, what are the major peaks and valleys, and what do we need to plan for in the future. We'll use a scenario planning approach to test future land use and transportation um, opportunities and see how the implications of each decision will uh, come together. New York undertook this uh, with their One New York effort, leading a, a citywide effort to think about the future of their city. Boston has done this as well with their Go Boston program. And so we're really thinking as a city, how do we work together to uh, plan for the future? The vision, which will uh, un uh, be underway starting this year and then into next year, will help us introduce a transportation dialogue and really engage the community in what their experiences are uh, with transportation, discuss with the community ideas, experiences, and solutions, and identify future scenarios and what they would like to see as a preferred future that will help us uh, shape the vision, goals, and policies overall. With this as a starting point, uh, we've come up with some preliminary goals for the vision that we would like to test with the public and help uh, us understand if these are the key areas that are most important to the public uh, for the shape of their city. So there are issues around equity, understanding what are the implications for having a diverse and inclusive city 50 years out into the future? What are the policies that we need to think about uh, to shape that within our transportation system? How do we ensure access for all people getting around uh, the city? 
thinking about safety and livability. Do people have attractive and safe travel options that support health, livable neighborhoods, and address the needs of all users? For environmental sustainability, thinking about a transportation system that both supports a healthy environment and provides sustainable choices for future generations. As well, a cornerstone is economic vitality. So how do people and businesses easily access key destinations for jobs and commerce? How do we work in partnership with both established and growing neighborhoods when San Francisco plays such a pivotal role in the region and for the region's economy? So these are uh, the key goals that we would like to uh, test as we go out to the public. Other major components of this will be um, a subway vision, which the technical work is underway now, thinking about planning and building for the future. What are the needs for a fast, rapid network uh, within the city, uh, building on uh, the MTA's uh, established network and the network that we need for the future? We'll be thinking about uh, both muni transit and regional transit opportunities. So what are those big moves that we need to make? Uh, we'll think about the role of freeways in our arterial network in, uh, as Michael mentioned, congestion and how do we get people around throughout the city, building on existing and ongoing multimodal plans. Another major component will be um, the San Francisco Transportation Plan 2050, which is a pivotal policy document uh, that will be important to help shape the next round of regional conversations on Plan Bay Area. It will be informed by the modal studies and the vision to ensure that regional transit and multimodal planning is coordinated and will create some investment scenarios and policy recommendations so that the city has a clear, a clear game plan for what its transportation project priorities are. Finally, we'll do an update of our city's transportation element, which is over 20 years old uh, and needs to catch up to modern times. It is a requirement um, that we do do a general plan update, um, and the role of the transportation element really codifies the city's transportation goals, policies, and long-term investments priorities. So we need to think about how we support some of these ongoing efforts, such as Vision Zero, needs for street safety, needs for shared use, and think about the actions and investments uh, that should be consistent with all of our thinking in our most recent plans and programs. With that, I'd like to shift it over to Michael to talk a bit about um, the experience of how people and goods move today in San Francisco so that we can understand and ground our thinking in the current conditions. Hi again. I'll keep this brief because I know that a lot of you are very um, steeped in uh, what people are experiencing today, but just some trends of things that people are experiencing. As um, Commissioner Breed mentioned, we do have not just traffic congestion, but significant transit congestion. Um, Caltrain ridership has increased by more than 40 percent. Um, anybody who rides BART in the morning knows that um, it's, it's increased significantly, which for a mature transit system is really um, quite remarkable. Um, and it, this is really something that people are, are feeling in terms of the, the crowding on transit. Um, this set just very quickly shows that that green line at the top is the highest loads on BART trains today, um, and you can see that they well exceed any standard, uh, both from a national level or a BART standard. So this is really beyond what these, the system was designed to accommodate. Um, some of the good news that Tilly was um, talking about uh, previously in that uh, MTA has achieved its 50% mode share to be um, taken by non-auto, non-private auto modes. Um, so that is, that is the good news, uh, but this doesn't mean we don't have more work to do. 
And I think, again, this is, I think, the point, um, Commissioner Breed, that um, the Executive Director was talking about in terms of the motor statistics. So this is um, net increasing commutes between 2006 and 2014. There were about 85,000 more commute trips a day um, in San Francisco, and that bar chart on the far right shows the people who are driving as part of those trips. So we are seeing that as it's increasing, people are taking different modes. So we are able to bend the curve a little bit. That said, um, it, has, it has moved so quickly that it's been challenging to, to keep up. Um, also, goods movement is another sort of um, area that we haven't looked at as closely, but we definitely should with the rise of the Internet and people getting a lot of their stuff delivered now. This is a completely different level of demand than we've seen in a long time, and this is something that this project will definitely be looking at. Um, also, the connection between land use and transportation. Um, the MTA board and the Planning Commission are actually holding a joint session later this week to really talk about how to really integrate these two pieces. That is a key, a key thing, that if we are going to grow, we need to make sure that we have the policies in place that where the infrastructure really matches the planning and that the decisions aren't being made in a vacuum separate from each other. Um, also things like um, jobs housing imbalance, so making sure we can take advantage of capacity like the eastbound traveling BART in the morning into the East Bay. We know that we do have capacity that we can take care of. Um, in addition, there are a lot of trends happening around us, um, and we can't do these plans in a vacuum, and so there's all these different areas that um, our process is designed to accommodate. There's a lot of uncertainty when you look 50 years in the future, and we want to make sure that our plan is adaptable to take into account things um, in the social realm, technology, economic factors, environmental, political. Um, the final piece is um, also around um, how demand management. So that was the last study that I just presented is really about what do we do with the existing infrastructure that we have. Um, again, the TDM ordinance that we presented last month and will be in front of you in your Board of Supervisors role later this fall um, is a great example of how do we have new people arriving to our city travel by ways that are more sustainable. And one of the things that we will be doing is really tracking um, what the outcomes are and are we actually achieving our goals from a vehicle miles travel perspective. And so this is just a laundry list of the big questions that we will be asking um, on the study. Uh, we know that there are more out there, but these are some of the big, big things that we'll be tackling as part of this vision exercise. With that, I'll talk briefly about uh, the role of the public in helping shape our thinking for the future. So um, as I mentioned, we're introducing this now. We'll be going out in the early fall to ask the public to tell us about their values and priorities for the future and help let us know what the city should be like for not only today but for future generations. We know that there's many uh, changing dynamics within the city and um, within the country and thinking about what are people experiencing and how can we help plan for the future in a way that solidifies the type of unique character that San Francisco wants to continue to be over the next 50 years. Our outcome for the vision process, which is again the first uh, stage of this, is to gain a deep and comprehensive understanding of community members' experiences moving throughout the city, their needs and priorities for the future transportation system, and create this overarching 50-year vision for the future of San Francisco. It'll be shaped by the public's concerns, opportunities, and insights, and will help us learn a lot about how we plan for the future of the city with their guidance and engagement. Uh, with that, I'd like to close, and thank you for uh, the opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you very much for your presentation and for your work on this. Um, and just to reiterate what Commissioner Breed said, we look forward to a lot of these um, improvements being implemented. 
All right, so this was uh, an information item. So at this time, we're going to open it up to public comment. Anyone wish to comment on item 10? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And item 11, please. Item 11, introduction of new items. Okay, uh, seeing no introduction of new items, are there any public comment on introduction of new items? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Item 12. Item 12, general public comment. Yes. Please comment up. Good morning. Andrew Yip, Chinatown Holy Missionary Officer. Loyalty, forgiveness, humanity, justice, proper measure, uprightness, peacefulness, and harmony are divine virtues as well as human virtues for political leaders. What should show one's hardness of loyalty to heaven then onto the nation without being twofold? Forgiveness is to forgive of oneself and others with good considerations. One should stand up to loyalty and take part way of holy justice as well as to treat people with forgiveness and to maintain a good heart of humanity. For the upright cultivation of heavenly heart onto bodily self and pathways, one must learn and practice the holy quick way, establishing good virtues, and take true pathway of holiness to actualize the true principle of holy quick divine. People are usually overburdened with human emotions and human desires. One should having a white heart of clarity and emptiness to ease off oneself from excessive human emotion and human desires. One should secure one's life in destiny in this world of disorder and to seek a safe course of holy way to perfect one's family and to serve the society. We have open trust being harnessed for one's others and inner sincerity being harnessed for oneself. One's practices of body cultivation and worthy preaching rescue of career will come to be true success for heavenly achievement. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good evening, super, morning, supervisors. Of course, you all know my name is Ace and my motto, I'm on the case. I've been at the City Hall for over 25 years, serving our black community in the best way I know how. And I'm also here in support of Queen Bee in District 5. But I'm here to give a news break. Ace in your face was arrested outside London Breed's office yesterday. It originated from London's office. Queen Bee wasn't there, but her staff had the liberty to call the sheriffs to come get Ace. To come get Ace. And those ruthless, racist sheriffs came and arrested me. Wouldn't let me go up to the sheriff, stop me at the elevator, and then they called for backup. The guy came in, shoved me in the chest. I told his other, did you see that? He said, no, I didn't see it. So I had to go down there and file. But I'm here to say, Queen Bee, I'm here to support you, but I'm, I'm hearted. I'm hardshipped of your office. I'm hardshipped of you and them not siding with, with the progressive. You do what you want politically, but all that affects us. How do you think we feel that we have these city uh, officials helping us that was born and raised in the projects when our sisters, whatever your reasons are, progressive, moderate, Republican, I think you all need to be on the same team with the progressives because they are teaching the city a lesson 
of what does not to happen in our city no more. So I'm not here barking on what's going on here. I'm letting y'all know news break. Ace in your face was arrested in City Hall. Charges was dropped. But you want to know what they charged me with? Disturbing the peace. In City Hall? You got more peace in the Middle East than, than City Hall. And then they're going to arrest me because I'm a black man? They had thousands of people walking through to the sheriffs didn't do nothing. But Ace Washington talking to my supervisor's oh, office? Thank you. There's something wrong with that picture. Thank you. News break. Ace is on the case. Any other members of the public wish to speak during public comment? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Are there any other items before us today? Item 13, adjournment. All right. Thank you. This meeting is adjourned.